0: this uh, passage we're going to look at today is uh, found in the letter to the Hebrews Uh, there's quite a lot in here maybe that needs a little bit of explanation in uh, the Greek it would read not as the first word of course we have to put a verb in there for you have not come and then a little bit later you will find but you have come and so there's a very strong adversative contrast in here not this but definitely that and so to understand what he's getting at we've got to understand the analogies or the pictures that the author is giving us about the two opposites or the two alternatives and the one into which we have come. Indeed, uh, the whole uh, letter to the Hebrews is really a contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And so here, and if you'll notice, uh, we're talking about mountains, here mount zion and the other mountain well the other mountain he's talking about is mount sinai because mount sinai represents the fullness of the old covenant Uh, remember as early as uh, the 13th chapter in genesis we begin to see the covenant that god makes through Abraham to rescue the entire world that has fallen after his good creation, that has fallen prey to sin, both the creation itself, which in Romans we hear groans until the revealing of the sons and daughters of God, So the creation itself is fallen, but the apogee of God's creation, humankind, is also under the thrall of sin. And so as early as Genesis, this is the beginning, if you will, of the covenant. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He's saying this to Abraham, God to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here is the beginning of this covenant, this promise, this kind of contract that God makes through Abraham. Of course, Abraham's seed, singular, is the one eventually through whom God will do away with or will, uh, will sin will no longer have the power uh, to harm the people. And that seed, singular, is Jesus. But for the old covenant, it comes to its peak on Mount Sinai. Because Abraham's seed had gone to Egypt in a time of famine and then eventually they were there for so many years that they came into slavery in Egypt and then of course finally God uses Moses uh, to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt but they don't immediately enter into the promised land because they don't trust God so in their wanderings very early on on mount sinai they are given the law and so this is the old covenant promise the law is for their health but listen to some of the words as um, is is, is described in exodus exodus 19 uh, starting at verse 16 this is the description of what happens at the giving of the law, of the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. And hear what uh, the author to the, of the letter to the Hebrews writes about it um, a blazing fire, darkness, gloom, a tempest, the sound of trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that not another word be spoken to them. You get this idea of darkness, gloom, foreboding. That is not the mountain to which we have come. The people were so frightened about the holiness of God that enveloped Mount Sinai as Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments that they said don't let God speak to us directly we are fearful people of what will happen to us let God speak to you and then you tell us what we should do And so there's this amazing sense of the transcendence, the otherness of God, the holiness of God. In fact, God says, put a perimeter around the mountain. Because his holiness is so great that anything that touches it, that has any sin, will be consumed in the fire of holiness because the character of holiness, is like the character of fire. The character of fire is to burn. You can't do anything else about that. Fire burns. That's what fire does. Holiness, the holiness of God, consumes sin because sin cannot be in the presence of holiness of God. It is automatically consumed because that is what God's holiness does. It consumes sin. God is a consuming fire, the author of Hebrews writes. God is a consuming fire. And so um, they, they, they plead uh, with Moses, don't have God speak to us directly. We're, we're too afraid of that. So this is the image of Sinai. And yet what God gave them was for their good, in the Ten Commandments, it was so that they could lead their lives um, under God's provision. And we see that in, uh, in the Old Testament reading. Do this, do this, and God's provision will be upon you. Um, the law given for their health, for their security. So what is the mountain? What is the place to which we have come? We have come to a different place, not a place of darkness and gloom and fear. We have come to Mount Zion. And Mount Zion is this image of God's dwelling. Zion, Mount Zion is where Jerusalem is. Uh, You'll know in scripture we say, uh, we read that um, they go up to Jerusalem or come down from Jerusalem. That's not because it's geographically north and we're looking at going up, but it's because it's on a mountain. And uh, and so people go up towards Jerusalem or they're coming down from Jerusalem and going somewhere else. David uh, overtook, this was a Jebusite stronghold, Uh, David conquered it and made it the center uh, his capital he made it his capital it was a small city the city of David uh, on uh, on that Mount Zion and the city was called Mount Zion and then his son uh, Solomon extended it and built the temple there now remember uh, that in the Old Testament, we have the specific minute details of how the temple was to be built. The dimensions of the temple, the materials to be used in the temple, the wood where it was to be from, the materials, the fabric, the colors, everything was given for the construction of the temple, there's this idea that in this there is this is God's place. We've been looking in our Sunday mornings with uh, NT Wright, surprised by hope, at this interweaving of heaven, the realm of God, the place from which God reigns, and earth, and how that rule of God intersects with the earth and so here's this kind of idea of an intersection of God's realm uh, the heavenly realm the heavenly throne room of God and God's place it's a place set aside for God in the the psalm we read this uh, he chose the tribe of Judah Mount Zion which he loves he built his sanctuary, like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. This is the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's where we have come, as those in Christ, as Christians, says this is where you've come. You've not got come to dark and gloom and fear. You've come to the place of... Of the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Well, of course, we're not physically at Mount Zion in Jerusalem, but this is an idea of the place again where God is, where God rules, which is close to us. There's, a, there's an intersecting with earth. So God is very near. He is not distant. In this place, we enter into this spiritual Jerusalem, this, this, uh, this spiritual Mount Zion. Jerusalem and Mount Zion are interchangeable as terms here. Mount Zion, Jerusalem. It's the city of the living God. And, and listen to this. Listen to what it is here. This is not dark Uh, not scary, Uh, innumerable angels in festal gathering. Do you know that the angels minister to us? Uh, Don't ever believe that you become an angel when you die. Angels are a completely different order of creation. And they minister to us. Earlier on in this letter to the Hebrews, in fact, at the very beginning at the first chapter, chapter 1, verse 14, are not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? You see, we are the apogee of God's creation. We are the inheritors of salvation. And he sends his angels to minister to us. I do not doubt that there are people here who have actually seen them. Oftentimes we don't see angels. But they are sent to minister to us. We, elsewhere in the New Testament, says we will judge the angels. Such is the stature that God has given us as the inheritors of salvation that we will judge the angels. We are at the top of his creation. Not in a sense that we lord it over because, again, we are to be the servants of all and we are given the stewardship of his entire creation. But to us is given The promise, the inheritance of salvation. What else is in this city of the living God? The assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Do you know that in Christ your name is written in the book of heaven? Your name is inscribed in God's book. Because of what Christ has done, your name is counted already with the saints who are in this realm. Not a place as we were talking about earlier in our class. Not a place far away, but a place that intersects, heaven intersecting with earth. Your names, our names, are written in God's book. Remember, when Jesus sends out the disciples... He sends them out and they come back and they're going, "Uh, even the demons listened to us in your name. Everything was subject to us in your name. And Jesus says, yes, I saw Satan fall. But he said more than that, more than that, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice. And in this city of the living God is God himself, the judge of all. Now, last week we were talking about we are not to fear this judgment. This judgment is a good judgment. We see that in the psalm today. In the psalm, we read this, "...the Lord executes righteousness." And judgment for all who are oppressed. His judgment is against injustice. His his judgment is against everything that sin has, has made bad in the world. Where evil has come in, that's his judgment. We need not fear his judgment in Christ because in Christ we have the righteousness of Christ. And so those who are in Christ need not fear this judgment. Indeed, we should welcome this judgment because this judgment does away with sin, does away with injustice, does away with all of those things that the enemy of our lives has brought into God's original good creation. And so there's this wonderful image of the city to which we have come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, made perfect again through the blood of Christ. Yet again, um, you know, Patty and I don't, you know, don't consort on this, but she chooses the songs and we sing them and I think, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit was working again. Uh, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for my sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Naught of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. He says here in this letter to the Hebrews, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood was spilt by Cain and from then on the earth takes in this shed blood and, and sin just spreads through the world. But the shed blood of Christ is so much more powerful than the shed blood of Abel because the blood of Christ covers all of our sin, sprinkled clean. In chapter 10, the author says, we are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience through this blood. It brings cleansing, forgiveness, peace with God to all who put their trust in him. Through Jesus alone, we have this access. We have come to this heavenly city, to God's place. We have already come in the spiritual realm. We are there. And yet, there is a greater promise still. Again, we've been talking about that. Funny how all of these lections go in with what we've been talking about in the classes as well. But Revelation talks about the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven to earth so that What is now intermingled and yet separate because God's holiness cannot come without consuming everything. At the end of the age, when Jesus returns, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And God will walk with man because because of Christ's righteousness that is now ours. We will not be consumed by the holiness of God because we stand with the righteousness of Christ. And so that at the end of the age, when Christ returns, heaven and earth will be a new heaven and a new earth that are together. And we will then receive Our resurrected bodies we are not there yet but we have already come to this heavenly city to this place because of Christ because of who Christ is but it's not cheap grace it is grace it's freely freely given but it's not cheap it requires as he says in this letter that we do not refuse the one who is speaking there is a choice to be made. It requires that we do not refuse the one who is speaking for if they, that means the Israelites, did not escape when they refused the one who warned them on earth. Remember, they'd asked Moses to speak for God and Moses spoke for God and they disobeyed. They went about their own business. How much less will we escape if we reject the one who warns from heaven who is Jesus Christ himself So Jesus Christ c- comes and speaks to us through his gospel that is still the living word and asks us to make a choice the grace is freely given can't earn it can't do a damn thing it's freely freely given But there is a choice involved. Will we receive it and accept it, or will we reject it? Because as the psalmist says, this is what the Lord has done. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. He forgives your sins, heals your infirmities, redeems your life from the grave, so that when we go down to the grave, that is not our final resting place. crowns you with mercy and loving kindness and satisfies you with good things and your youth is renewed like an eagle's. He is full of compassion and mercy, slow to anger and of great kindness. This is the amazing gift that we've been given. We are the creation for whom he took off glory and came and walked amongst us, and went to the cross for us. So that we may come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, I think we don't always remember the enormity, the immensity of this gift, of this, Amazing grace that has been given to us. And so the author says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. See, the kingdom has already come in with the incarnation the kingdom is already at work god's way of being god's rule the way god wants the earth to be has already come in with the incarnation it's not as it will be but it has come in and we are the people to through whom he is going to extend further and further that kingdom like in the gospel story remember this woman has been bent over for 18 years bent over unable to stand up straight and the uh, the jews are saying you shouldn't be doing this on the sabbath and and jesus makes the analogy but you untie your donkey on the sabbath so that he can get water how much more should i should not this daughter of abraham be untied he says stand up straight And on the Sabbath, she is released of 18 years of being tied, of being tied up, whether emotionally or spiritually, that has come out in her physical bentness or whether it's something merely physical. But he unbends her. That's the kingdom breaking in. That's God's way of life breaking into earth. It's intersecting, and it intersects where his people have the faith that he is indeed working in this world through them. It continues in. And so if we have been given this kingdom, which at the end of the age when he comes and shakes again, like the shaking on Mount Sinai, but this time the heavens and the earth are shaken and only those things that are of God, God's kingdom will remain those things that we have done, remember, build up for yourself treasures in heaven. That doesn't mean somewhere up there and it's not a gold hoard. It's those things of kingdom living that we have done. Those won't be shaken. When the Lord returns, those will remain. So, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us give thanks by which we offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe. You see, we gather in worship, not for ourselves, but to give thanks to God. It's why oftentimes churches also are kind of like a throne room, leading into the throne room of God. We gather together to worship God. And that which we worship, we begin to reflect. So let us be a people who gather to give thanks. Eucharistia, the Eucharist, is a thanksgiving. May we be a thankful people who gather to worship in reverence and awe. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.